Holy Spirit, we just thank you for what you're doing in, in each of our lives and each of our hearts. And we thank you for the seasons that we're in. And we pray, God, that we wouldn't miss one single message that you have for us. We, we thank you for babies who cry. And we thank you that none of our children cried when they were little. And Jesus never cried when he was little. Sorry, I'm just joking with you, ma'am. I'm sorry. Yes, good. So let's finish the prayer. Holy Spirit, so come back. Amen. Amen. <laughs> now, Jesus has a thing about babies. You don't want to make fun of babies. Something about something hanging around your neck and drowning. So <laughs> I want to talk about encouragement and courage. Would you turn to Isaiah chapter 35? I actually, last night, had, I got, woke up and I've been actually waking up in the middle of the night for a long time, for like, it's been like 20 years. <laughs> but, uh, but this week's been a lot, so I think it's mostly jet lag. I don't know if it's Jesus, <laughs> even though he was on the jet. Um, but I, I actually had a dream last night about what I was supposed to preach, and I've actually shared a very similar message several times, not necessarily out of this verse. But I, I want to talk about encouragement and how important encouragement is and what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. And so just Isaiah 35, 3, listen to this. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those who are anxious in heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, and recompense of God will come, and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind, everybody say then. Then Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. I want to finish reading a few more verses, but I want you to see the transition. He says, encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble, and say those who are anxious in heart, take courage, and don't be afraid. For your God's going to come with vengeance and recompense will come and he will save you. After that, it says, then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams from Abarth. And the, the scorched land will become a pool and thirsty ground, I'm sorry, the scorched land will come, become a pool <laughs> Come a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water, and haunted jackals and resting places, grass will, becomes, will become reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, and it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will be any vicious beast on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed of the Lord will be there. And the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. And everlasting joy will be upon their heads. And they will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Well, it's just a good word right there. I don't, I don't know if you really have to preach that. But did you notice that healing of, of people and healing of the land broke out when... You said, when we, say to, when we encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble, and say to the people who are anxious, be courageous. Your God's going to come and save you. It's all going to work out. And, and, I, and I, just, uh, I just think that 
that encouraging, you know, encourage means giving courage to people, right? When somebody really encourages, sometimes people say, let me just encourage you, brother. And when they leave, they took my, the, what a little bit I had left with them. <laughs> and, uh, but, and, and how many of you know that encouragement is like, it doesn't necessarily, I want to talk about it in a minute, but it doesn't necessarily mean someone goes, oh, you're amazing. It, it means that, but it means so much more. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, it's the story of David. Um, I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about this part of the story, but it's a story about uh, David and Saul. And King Saul, um, kind of, he went insane, kind of. <laughs> he went insane, <laughs> became a maniac, and happened to hate the guy who loved him the most. And he's chasing him for somewhere around 14 years, trying to kill him with his whole army. He has his whole army after one guy. And, um, and the amazing thing about this story, well, there's lots of really amazing things about this story, but the one thing I want to highlight tonight is that David, before this whole thing happened, David makes a covenant with Jonathan. Well, let me say it this way, because I think it's more important to realize that Jonathan was, the, was Saul's son, the king's son, the prince, if you will, the next in line to be king. And he takes off his robe and, takes, and his sword and his belt and his shield, and his ring, and he gives it to David, and he makes a covenant with David when David is a young man, probably 15, 16-ish, definitely a teenager. And it's right after he kills Goliath. And, in, in, and when he takes off his robe, you can imagine that the people in the palace were stunned because this wasn't like his best coat or his, 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 his Nike jacket or his 49er coat, which today you could probably give away pretty cheaply. That this, this robe was his uniform. This, this robe, it, it signified that he was a prince. And he took off his right to be a prince, the king's son. He took off the right to be a prince. You, are you getting any of this? He took off the right to be a prince, and he put it on David. And by the way, uh, David's name means beloved. He put it on David, and he gave him his ring, and his sword, and his belt. And, 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 and he said, and by doing that, he was saying to David, in sign language, so to speak. Listen, even though I have a right, even though the right to the throne, I'm the rightful heir to the throne. I give up my rightful, I give up my rightful place, and I anoint you as king in my place. Pretty powerful thing that happens that day. What what Jonathan doesn't know, and David doesn't know, is it won't be. It, it, only a few months will pass before David becomes uh, public enemy number one. And Jonathan will be caught in this trap between loving and honoring his father and honoring the covenant that he made with his good friend. And so the stories are a really great story, something uh, everyone should read. It's in the book of Samuel. It starts in 1 Samuel 17 and really goes through much of the book of Samuel. But um, what, I, what I love is, is that Jonathan... Um, you understand that when the tide turns and David's no longer popular, see, David comes, when David comes back from killing Goliath, the women are, are lying the streets and the, and the armies of Israel are returning home. You can kind of envision this in your mind, can you not? The armies of Israel are coming home from, a, a, from one of the greatest, probably the most famous battle in, in history for sure. Even, this, even 
even secular businesses use this battle as an example of David and Goliath, the small business and the big business, and so on and so forth. So it, it, it is the most famous battle in history. And they're lining the streets, and the women are singing. And I don't actually think they're, they think they're offending Saul, because they think Saul's a father. They don't realize he's not a father, he's actually an elder brother. And they're singing, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. And they think that Saul's probably, they're probably thinking that Saul feels like a genius because he's found this young uh, shepherd boy who becomes a great warrior. But in, instead, Saul isn't uh, excited about that, and he, and he decides that he's going to be suspicious and jealous and envious and, and, and unforgiving of David. And, and it goes on to say that an evil spirit from the Lord comes upon Saul. But here's my point. Before all of that happens, or at least in the midst of all of that, before Saul goes insane, David is the most popular person in history. Suddenly, he's more popular than Justin Bieber. <laughs> and, and it's really easy to make a covenant with somebody who's, who's more popular than you. Yeah, it's probably an exaggeration, actually. There wasn't that many people on the planet at the time. So. But you get the idea. He was fa- very famous. And there's something about... There's something easy about making a covenant with somebody who's obviously anointed and, and whose um, public opinion is in their favor and you feel good that, you're just, that you just get to be their friend. But what happens when they go through a dark season and all of a sudden the person who exalted them is actually opposed to them and the most, the most powerful man in the world, King Saul, actually doesn't like them. And... and that, that, that's the question. And what I love about the story is that three times uh, Jonathan runs out and finds David running from his father. He goes out and finds him, which is interesting because Saul can't find him. Jonathan, how many knows there's something about covenant? You can find people who other people can't find. Positive and negative covenants, by the way. <laughs> anyway... Should I say something about that? I shouldn't. Let's move on. He finds David three times. He goes after David, not David after him. He goes after David, and he says to David, when his father is trying to kill him, when Jonathan's father is trying to kill David, he says to David, you're going to be king. And he says this, and he renewed his covenant with him, and he encouraged David. I want to read you this this one time. Now David became aware that Saul had come to seek his life while David was in the wilderness. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David, Horish, and encouraged him in God. And he said to him, don't be afraid because of the hand of, my, of Saul, my father. He will not find you. And you will be king of Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows, knows all of this. And the two of them made a covenant. Now, by the way, this is the third time They've renewed their covenant. There's something about... See, this is encouragement right here. This, this, he, he's, not, he's, he's reminding them that he's going to be king, but more importantly, he's reminding them, I'm with you. I don't know if this um, means anything to you or, or how this strikes you, but in hard times, sometimes you don't know what to say. Have you, ever, have you ever had a friend going through a hard time and you don't really know what to say? Maybe they've lost a child. Maybe they've just lost their job. And you, know, and you pray and pray and pray, and you, you really don't have the answer. 
And, and there's, a, there's a natural thing about distancing yourself because, especially guys, I, I'm, I can't speak for the ladies, but guys want to fix everything. And if we don't have the answer, we sort of feel like we don't have anything valuable to say. And here Jonathan doesn't really have the answer, but he, he reminds David of, his, of the covenant that he has with him. Now Jonathan's the popular guy, and David's the guy on the run. And Jonathan is the one reminding the, him, reminding David, that he has a covenant with him, and that he's with him, and that he's going to serve. He says to David, you're going to be on the throne, and I'm going to serve you. There, there's something about friendship in hard times where you don't have to have the answer, you just need to renew the fact that you're with somebody when they're in tough times. It's easy to find a friend, in fact, Proverbs puts it this way, everyone is a friend to the rich, but who can find a friend when you're poor? And how many know that's not just about money? Everybody's a friend to people who are famous or powerful or they're great athletes or they're whatever. But find, who, how does a poor person, how does somebody that has no prominence find friends? And, um, and this is, uh, and I love, I love Jesus, I, and I love him because he's closer than a friend. Thank you. I said something Bill finally uh, agreed with. <laughs> And how many of you know that, that covenants, staying, hanging in there with people when they're in hard times is not easy? Covenants aren't for cowards. Covenants aren't for cowards. I've watched whole churches, you know, there's a big difference between fans and followers. And there's a big difference between followers and a community. And there's a big difference between community and a covenant. And uh, you, you, you can watch the layers fall off when the parade stops. And, and when, when the pra- I, I love that Jesus knows how to, how to determine who are his fans and who's in covenant with him. He does things like, he has this whole multitude of people and he says, well, let me just speak my, let me just share my worst message ever and see who will stay. And he's like, unless you uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Now, that's probably a really great message if you know the rest of the story. But if it sounds like you, you're, so, you know, like you're some kind of like, like are we moving into some kind of cannibalism? Like this is worse than drinking the Kool-Aid right here. And then Jesus refused to explain it as the crowds, as the crowds disperse and only the covenant people are with him. And I think that that's such a, uh, a great metaphor for um, an unfortunate in, a, in one sense, in another sense, it's, it's, it's uh, things happen in our life, I think, purposely. Like, I think that, if I can use this metaphor, I think there are times in our life when Jesus insists on preaching his worst message in our life. And it's kind of detracting. And, and what it does is, it, sometimes it, it feels discouraging, like, well, nobody's my friends. Like, actually, the people who are with you, they were the only ones who were really with you in the first place. The rest of them were just fans or followers. But they really weren't with you. And, and, and I think that God is raising up a people who are actually in covenant. Like they're actually together. And they're actually there to encourage one another even in really hard times. And they stick together when things don't go well. And get this. This is going to really 
this is, this, this is a really new concept, when they don't agree. When they don't have, when, they, when there's no feelings, you know? How many of you know that your feelings uh, come and go? Like, like, I don't let my feelings tell me how to live. I, 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 listen, I'm not trying to pretend I don't have any, but my feelings don't dictate how I treat my wife. I don't wake up one day feeling like, man, I feel nothing. I think I'll just treat you like, you know? We don't say it while we're streaming. <laughs> badly is what I was, the word I was looking for, Badly. <laughs> so, so I want to I talk a little bit about an encouragement. In, uh, in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, there, there's, this, uh, there's a story of the widow and the judge. And I, I know you know the story pretty well. And Jesus, um, he, he, listen to this, this first line. Now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Just stop for a second. Why, does he, why is he about to tell them a parable? What was the reason? He was telling the parable so that they would know that they should at all times pray and what? Not lose heart. So the parable, so it was like, what does the parable mean? It's so deep. No, it just means pray and don't stop. Like, don't give up. And so he sees that, he sees them kind of like, ah, you guys, you know, your prayer life is like, yeah, it's kind of, okay, so let me just tell you this parable about this woman. And, and, and he goes on to tell the, about this woman. She was a, there was a, a judge in a city, and he didn't, he didn't fear God, and he didn't respect man. And there was a widow, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. And he was unwilling to do it, but afterwards he said, even though I do not fear God, <laughs> nor respect man, yet because this widow, widow bothers me, or drives me crazy, I'll give her legal protection. Otherwise, she continues to come, and she wears me out. And the Lord said, do you see what the unrighteous judge said? Now, will God bring justice for his elect when they cry out day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Isn't it interesting that Jesus ties faith to persistent prayer? And what I'm getting at is this. He said, he, he told them this parable when he saw that they wavered in prayer. When they didn't get their instant, when they didn't get their the instant answer, he said, listen, let me tell you this story. It's about this woman, and what's he doing? He's saying, listen, you guys are praying for things, and when you don't get instant answers, you give up. And he's saying, listen, I don't want you to give up. Let me tell you the story about this woman. And he's, and he's saying, he's telling his disciples, this is what life's about. Life is about not quitting. Life is about you pray, and nothing happens, and you just don't go, well, it's not the will of the Lord. No, you keep praying. You become like the widow and the wicked judge who didn't respect, didn't fear God, didn't respect man. But he said, listen, this woman's going to wear me out. And he's saying to his disciples, that's how I want you to pray. I want you to pray till you wear people out. I want you to, I want you to pray till heaven can't ignore you. I want you to pray till you get an answer. And by the way, your consistent prayer is how I know that there's faith on the earth. There's something about courage that doesn't quit. How many know you can't conquer what you won't confront? I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. You have to be in the battle. Everybody wants to have a victory, but nobody wants to have a battle. <laughs> amen. I say amen to that. That's me too, Lord. I would love to get a trophy not playing the game. <laughs> I shared this verse uh, 
a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago maybe. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. I, I don't know, Paul, does the Apostle Paul intimidate you? I, I mean, seriously, that dude, when I read his, about his life, not his teaching, I, 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 love, him, I love both, by the way. I, I get his teaching, and when I listen to him, when I listen to his teaching, I'm like, wow, that is heavy, dude. I don't know where you got that. That had to be God. But when, I, when, I, when, when he tells a story about his life, I just wonder if I'm a Christian. <laughs> do, you, do you ever do that? Like, I, 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 what, I love, what, I, what I like to do, and I've done it, I think, one or two times in counseling, when someone comes to my office, and it's been like two or three times, and they're like, my life is so hard, I just go, well, just, can I read you some passages? And I just start reading about the Apostle Paul. And then I say, what's your problem? What's the issue you have? Um, I mean, this guy's like, he's had, he has issues. And, and he brags about it. It's like, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. We rejoiced when we got beaten. I'm like, seriously? I rejoiced when I'm in the hot tub. Does any, I, don't, I don't know. Does anyone else relate to what I'm saying? And, and you read that, and you're like, you know, the only thing, uh, I, the only challenge I have with this is the Bible. <laughs> like, if this wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't read it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, this doesn't make me comfortable. Like, I read this, and I'm like, okay, you know, the challenge with this is this, this, this is the Word of God. So then I, then I have to like, figure out some way I'm going to actually, like, believe it. You know, people say things like this, and I'm sure you've heard it, and maybe you've said it. I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody. It really does matter that I offend you. Um, but people will come and they'll say, you know, I, I, I believe in the Bible, but I believe, that, I believe that, there are, that there are errors in some of the translations, you know, from Greek to English and from Hebrew to English. I, I think this, there's things lost in the translation. And I, I, and I don't, you know, I, I really am not educated enough to really know. But this is one thing I know. All the places where you think there's a problem are the places you don't agree with. <laughs> you know, like if there is a problem, it's probably one of those places you really love. Like, oh, he didn't really say that, you know? And by, by the way, I'm joking. I believe that there's no, there are no errors. I really do believe that. I'm just saying, it, it just, isn't it funny that when we think there are errors, it's in places that we don't agree with. Like, that's what stimulates, like, well, there are errors in the Bible. Yeah, just in the four places I don't agree with, those can't be translated right. And so I'm going to read you one of those. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power would be of God, not of ourselves. For we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always caring about the body of the dying Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. So we, who are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal body, so death works in us, so life can work in you. Uh, on, oh, this part, this part blows my mind. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but through our outer, although our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction, 
<laughs> Seriously, I'm serious. That's one part that there might be a translation issue with. <laughs> For this momentary light affliction is producing in us eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I don't know, does anyone else, do you read that? Does it challenge you? Does it, does, are you guys all right? Uh, there, there's something about, you, you know, there's a list of people who aren't going to make it to heaven in the book of Revelation. I, I, don't, I don't read that list very often either. But in there is cowards. Like, it's listed among all other people who do terrible things. And like, and, you know, it's just like murderers, you know, idolaters, all these people you kind of expect, and it's like cowards. Uh, there's something about courage that's required to follow Jesus. And you, know, you don't have to follow Jesus. You don't have to have courage to be a Christian. And I mean that in the way of, I don't, I don't have to have courage to like adhere to, to, to agree with the philosophical principles that Jesus taught. But I definitely have to be, uh, I definitely need courage if I'm actually going to follow the guy who taught them. Are you with me? And, um, and in the middle of the night, I, I just wrote these things down. Uh, the attributes of courage. Courage refuses to give up long after everyone else has gone home. That's a good word, actually. No, I'm not asking you to clap. I'm thinking about what to say. There's something about courage that just refuses to quit. Like, I see people quitting on their marriages I've talked to people recently in, pl- in different places. They're quitting on their marriage. Like, oh, I, my marriage is not everything I want it to be. Really, what's wrong? Well, you know, yeah, well. I'm like, man, are you serious? Let me read you Apostle Paul. He was beaten. He was struck down, forsaken, persecuted, perplexed, you know, left for dead, stoned, shipwrecked. What's your marriage problem? What's your marriage problem? Like, we are so, like... We, we, we've become a society that's so self-absorbed. It's like, if it, if it doesn't just feed us day and night, we're like, wow, it's got to be someone's fault. And there's just you and me in the home now, so it must be you, because it isn't me. And there's just something about courage. Do you know what I'm saying? There's something about courage. I was thinking about this, this woman. This is, uh, she comes here often. I, I'm sorry, I hope I, I, hope I don't uh, embarrass her. I don't, I don't see her here, but... And she, she has a husband who has, a, who, um, has got a, a disease, and he got it about three, or three years ago, uh, worked a, a really a prominent job, and, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm not sure what the disease is, he's all twisted up, he's in a wheelchair, I'm sure you've seen him, most of us have prayed for him, and she adores him, he can't, he can't talk very well, he's mentally fine, he's... It didn't affect him mentally. It affected his ability to move and, and all of that. And, and I, 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 she's a hero. She's one of my heroes. She wheels him up. Every time she comes to a conference, she asks to pray for him. There's not an ounce of bitterness in her heart towards God or anyone else. And she adores this man. And every time she sees me or Bill or any, anybody, anybody, especially someone who preaches, someone who looks like they might have some extra faith, she, can you... Can you and, and I, I, I recognize her now. I'm like, oh, we're going to go pray for her husband. And she just, is, she just loves this man. 
And obviously, there's limitations in the, the marriage. I'm, I'm obviously not being funny. I, and I, I, like, I look at that and I'm like, that is love right there. That is love. And I want to take my young friends who are like, have marriage problems, and I want to go, um, hey, can we come to your house just, and just have tea? I just, I just want to come to your house and have tea. And I want them to watch you adore this man who obviously can't do anything for you, but you just... You are just pouring your life after him, and you are taking him to every conference, everybody that looks like they might have an ounce more faith than you do. You wheel him over there, and you say, can you please pray for him again? And I, I don't know how many times I've prayed for him. I'm sure that every leader in here has prayed for him many times. But, but it is, when she wheels him up, I get more from, I mean, I want him to get healed. Of course, I want him to get healed. But I get so much, I'm like, dude, you have nothing to complain about. You, 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 you can love Listen, this is unconditional love being wheeled in here, right here. That man is the most loved man I probably have ever seen in my, on, on the planet. And that, that man can do nothing for her, and she insists on adoring him. That's love done quit. I'm sorry, I just need to say this. I saw myself say it in a dream. You, you, you got to stop quitting your marriages just because, you know, you got Whatever. Well, you have this issue, you know, he leaves his underwear. Well, whatever, you know. I don't, I don't care. Pick him up. You know, pick him up. You, you'll, someday you'll care. When you get to eternity, you'll care that you did it. Do it for Jesus. Pick up his underwear for Jesus, you know. <laughs> whatever. My wife spends too much money. Okay, well, just get generous and just, you know, put her on your missions list. And she's, she's your missionary. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know how you work it out. You know, she's your missionary to Walmart, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I don't care what you do. I, I just know that, you, I just know when you get to heaven, you're going you're gonna to care. You're going to care. Listen, when you get to eternity, you know, this is just about 70, 80 years tacked on to eternity. When you get to eternity, this is just practice forever. This is just practice for forever. So you're going to care. You know, and you, when you walk away from your marriage, you blow up your world, your kids, everybody who respects you, sees what you're doing, and you're, you're a coward. You're a coward. No, I saw this in a dream. You're a coward. Get in your marriage and work it out. What marriage doesn't have challenges? This, you take two people, you put them together. And then they're the opposites. I mean, a woman, a man, I mean, you know? <laughs> I won't go on besides that. Everybody has challenge. Well, you know, you don't like, no, no. You know why I have a great marriage? Because Kathy. Because <laughs> she's an angel. I married an angel. And thankfully I married an angel that likes intimacy, or that would have been not as, I married better than an angel. Those angels. Anyway, well, let's move on. Attributes of courage. Attributes, one of the attributes of courage, when people insist they can't change, courage says you're better than that. And I, I, don't, I don't know, uh, gosh, I'm not going to get very far tonight, I can see that. There's, we, you know, there's a whole generation that's coming up 
in a cesspool of immorality. And they're being told, you are genetically, you are genetically prone to same-sex attraction. And I'm like, that is not true. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, sorry. Well, I have affections. Fine, I understand that. You, you, know, you know the greatest temptation in the world? The one you have. No, I'm serious. If you have same-sex attraction, you think that's worse than the guy that has attraction outside of his marriage or the guy who's not married who can't have sex or the girl or whatever or the guy who has uh, you know, a, a fetish towards stealing things. Or the, just, just, it's, called, it's called temptation. And it says there is no temptation set for common to all men. So you have them and you're like, we're the only ones that have this temptation. It's like, well, you may be the only one. You may be in a group of people that have that temptation. But guess what? It feels the same in me when I have temptation as it feels in you when you have yours and I am not my temptation no let me just say there's a whole generation coming up that they are trying to convince our young people that they are their temptation and I'm sorry but fathers and mothers need to stand up and say that is not true I'm so sorry and I, I listen yeah and I see whole churches folding to this this whole movement, and we may end up with a voice crying in the wilderness. I don't know, but I'm not going to stop crying because I look at my teenage, I got eight, four, eight grandkids, and four of them are teenagers, and I look in their eyes, and I think somebody's got to say to you, listen, at least you need to know what your father thinks about this. I was pastoring a lot of young people when they were in their teens. I was a youth pastor for a long time. And um, I actually have permission to tell this story, but I, I, for the sake of streaming, I don't think I will, to, to, uh, to name this person. But there was a young man, and I, I knew him very well, and uh, he was very close to me. And then for about probably three or four months, every time I saw him, he, he didn't want to talk to me. And he would, it was just, it was just weird. I, I just thought it was the normal teenage kind of, you know, hormone kind of, you know, thing. Because we, by then we had raised three. So I thought, well, this is just the normal, like, hey, I don't have a dad, I'm a test tube child. You, you know, you kind of go through that independent thing. But it seemed worse than that, and it, and it, get, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And, and I, I was like, man, to the place that I, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would pray for him. And I'd think, this, is, this, this, this isn't that normal kind of like, you know, year or two where you kind of find your independence, you find your place with God. This is something else. And I would say, every time I would see him, I'd say, are you okay? Is good, things good between us? Did I say something wrong? Did I offend you? Which you would be shocked that I could possibly offend somebody I know. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 it's good, it's good. No, I'm good, I'm good. One day I see him and uh, I kind of catch him in this small room. Not on purpose. And he's in there, and I say, uh, he's like, like, he can't wait to get out of there. And so I kind of stand in the doorway, and I'm like, are, hey, dude, are you okay? Are you okay? And for months, he's been saying, I'm fine. Yeah, no problem. Anything you want to talk about? No, I'm good. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm great. No problem. Yeah, I'm good. Okay, well, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, well, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm just uh, working on myself. So I'm kind of standing in the doorway. I mean, he can walk past me, but I'm kind of like, I'm making it difficult. <laughs> and I'm like, are you okay? 
Look me in the eyes and tell me you're okay. If you look me in the eyes and you tell me you're okay, then I'm good. He said, I believe I'm a homosexual. Like this kid's 15. I'll say, what? And he tells me that he and his friend did a homosexual act together two or three times, and he liked it. And so he looks at me, so I think I'm a homosexual. I said, man, you ain't a homosexual, man. He said, what am I? I said, you're stupid. You are a 15-year-old kid who's trying to figure out what day it is. And this is, this is the stuff kids do, and they need a dad in their life to say, oh man, you just did something dumb. Well, I thought it was fun. Well, being fun doesn't make it your identity. I'm sorry. And if we were in a moral revolution, I could get graphic. But the point is this. So, so I said to him, no man, you're just being dumb. He said, did you do dumb things when you were a kid? Oh no, not me. I was like Jesus. What, what kid, you know, your frontal lobe of your brain isn't completely developed till you're 22. You know what a frontal lobe does? It's cause and effect. It means that's why your kid will jump off a roof and think he's going to fly. When everything else in the world he's seen fall down, he thinks he's going to fly. Because that part of your brain is the, it's cause and effect. You don't, you don't calculate what's going to happen until after you hit the ground. And that part of your brain isn't fully developed till you're 22. When you're 15... How much do you know your sex drive's this high and the globe isn't even there? It's like missing. <laughs> Did I do stupid things when I was 15? Hello? That's part of being 15 is being stupid. You know I mean not stupid. You know what I'm saying. I'm being funny right now. I'm saying not thinking the consequences. I'm sorry, I was just being funny. Not thinking of consequences is part of being 15. And that's why you need a dad. And that's why you need a mom. And that's why you need a community. Because people who have been there and done that and got the t-shirt in the video can get around you and go, uh, and the recording can go, hey, you know, uh, that's, uh, if you jump off that roof, you're going to hit that ground. And that, see that bird right there that hit that window? That's going to be you. You're going to die. But you know what happens when we're silent? Because there, the the stress, the peer pressure to agree with a cesspool, immoral culture screams at you when you go, hey dude, uh, yeah, that's actually not one of your options. Uh, your body parts pretty much dictate who you are. Sort of like God gave you an identity, then he made your body after it. So yeah, it sort of, it sort of synergizes. And if it doesn't, resist it. If it doesn't resist it. And by the way, if you get married and you see another woman and she looks like better than the one you're married to, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter how, how exciting that looks, don't do it. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, well, I know it looks like more fun, but trust me, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. And, and by the way, you, having sex before you're married, like, yeah, yeah, that'll actually bond you to people and you'll, glue, you'll get glued together and when you get pulled apart, it'll be like wood on here and wood on here and you'll be carrying other people's souls with you and whatever happens to them will affect you the rest of your life unless Jesus does a miracle and separates you. This is called a soul tie. Hey, these are the reasons why God says no. Not because he's trying to destroy you, because he actually is the one who invented like sex, you know? He's actually the one that made, like, eating fun. You know, it's like, taste and see. Like, you eat chocolate, you go, oh, God's good. <laughs> I mean, he could have had different ways to feed you, right? He could have had other ways that we, that we, that we came 
you know, that we multiplied. You know, we could have been sitting on an egg. I don't know why God gets the bad rap. This is all his idea. He's like, I think I'll just make it really fun, and then we won't have any problem with them, the, what I told them. Be fruitful and multiply. I'll, listen, if I do that and have to sit on an egg, phew, the population's going to grow really slowly. <laughs> Let's just make it really fun. <laughs> And then just put some boundaries around it. Yeah, that's a good idea, Jesus. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> courage. The attributes of courage. Courage refuses to take the temperature of the crowd to determine which virtues are in vogue. Number four, courage falls down, but it gets back up. When it loses a battle, it contends for a victory. When it gets locked into prison, it, it gets freed by an earthquake. Number five, drag courage into a dark alley and leave it for dead, and it will strike a match and set the world on fire. Number six, courage doesn't cower in the face of public opinion or waver when the world waffles. That's not like pancakes. <laughs> Number seven, when the voice of reason stutters and common sense stammers, courage utters a clear, clarion call. Like, it's not time for us to run. Number eight, when vicious voices shout courage down, it only, takes, it only makes us more determined to stand straight up. Number nine, if you oppress courage, it multiplies. If you pound it into a puddle, it becomes a river of life. If you pull it back, it intensifies, it intensifies the velocity of hope. Number ten, when fear says, dim the lights, courage says, arise and shine. Number eleven, when life leaves the beaten path, courage enjoys the journey. And number 12, sometimes courage doesn't roar, but it's the quiet voice at the end of the night that says, we'll try again tomorrow. This is courage. This is what we're called to. It's so funny, you know, um, I'm kind of on the homosexual thing right now. And the reason I am is because I feel like the Lord's given me a burden for it in the last six months. It's one of those things I wake up thinking about and and, and I, like, I, I have so much love for those people, which is another reason why I know it's God. Like, I'm not mad at anybody. I look in their eyes and I see my 15-year-old friend. And I think, dude, I wonder what would happen if you would have had a daddy. Or maybe you had a daddy and daddy didn't talk to you. Or maybe you didn't talk to your daddy. Or maybe your daddy didn't step in the doorway and say, look in my eyes and tell me you're all right. Or whatever, maybe it has nothing to do with any of that. You know, there's 10,000 different reasons, but my point is, I wonder if somebody would have taken a stand with you if it would have changed you. I wonder, and maybe not. But what's really cool is, I posted this little thing on my Facebook, kind of went crazy. I had to send some people to purgatory because they were like so mean. <laughs> 
<laughs> using words I haven't seen since high school. Um, but uh, I just had a side just said, if you've come out of homosexuality, would you just post your testimony on my Facebook page? Hundreds of people posted. You can get on there and look, still on there. Hundreds of people posted. And then they posted this conference they have. It's called We Came Out Conference. And it's got about picture, I don't know, it has about 40 pictures of people. And underneath it says, came out after 30 years, came out after 15 years, came out after three years. And the responses were amazing. The people who are, who are struggling wrote and said, I've been struggling, thank you so much. This is so awesome, I needed hope. And I got tons of those. I don't know how many, tons of those, lots of them. And then I got about a hundred angry people. Angry, like, I mean, not a little. Who said, you, and all I said is, if you have a testimony about coming out of homosexuality, could you post it? That's, that was my whole comment. I'm like, you are a bigot, you are a t- terrible, evil, terrible person. I would never want you to influence my children. Da, 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 all this terrible, like, I mean, just like a hundred of them. And I thought, you know what? When you're, when, you, when you're repentant, you love testimonies of people who are where, you, where you're stuck and who have come out. When you need a reason to spiritualize your dysfunction, you hate people that have come out of the place you're at because it takes away your excuse. And we, and we can't determine their response. But if we let the people, and I know I'm using this subject, but this subject, this is, this, this is a thousand subjects, do you understand? And this subject's pretty charged in our, in our environment right now. But if, if we let those people who are shouting and screaming at us keep us from sharing the good news that you don't have to stay stuck, all those people that are writing, thank you for the encouragement, man. I'm so stuck of me. And, and you know what happened is, you know what happens on Facebook, is those people, will t- they'll say I'm stuck, and the, some of the people that posted, they'll start, they'll start uh, exchange back and forth. And I'm like, this is beautiful, and, but it comes at the cost. It comes at a cost of being misunderstood, being, being um, labeled, being called names, and this is in every subject. And I'm saying, we can run and hide, like, oh, no, we're, you know, you know we're, and people are like, you're supposed to be like Jesus. He didn't, he didn't judge people. I'm like, you know what? The guy who said to the woman caught in adultery, does no one condemn you, neither do I, said, go and sin no more. I'm sorry, that was the same guy. He didn't say, I didn't condemn you, go do whatever you want. He said, I don't condemn you, now go and sin no more. So the idea that we have no standards because we love people is ridiculous. That's why we have standards. We have standards because I want to, listen, I'm concerned. Like, I don't want my grandkids thrown in a cesspool where someone tells them, you're going to be a homosexual, a bisexual, a, a, a heterosexual. Uh, you know, these, these are all options you have. I'm like, no, no, I don't want my kid to be taught that when he's 15 and he got, his brain isn't all the way developed. 
You know, do, if you want to be an adult, do what you want. I mean, I understand that's not Bethel Churches, but I don't know what we think to, corporately. But I'll just say this. Personally, I don't care what you do when you're an adult with an adult, whatever. Just don't teach that stuff to my kids. Leave my kids alone. And I actually do care, but do it, you know, whatever. Whatever. You know, I care, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm not going to, like, carry a picket sign to your parade. I'm not going to, you know, write terrible. I'm not going to do that. But I, I am going to shout as loud as you do, this is not normal. You were not born this way. I don't care if people don't come to my meetings. I don't. I mean, I want them to come. I, I don't want to be misunderstood as being unloving, but this, look, I look at my grandkids and I say, this is not normal. I don't say that because I'm a hater. I say that because I'm a lover. Sorry, this is not normal. This is not okay. And I would say it, and I'd say, I say it about, about anything. Lying. Lying will take you down the path to hell. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't be dishonest. Don't, all of these things. You know, but the problem is, nobody's starting a group for liars. Well, we're liars, we're just prone to lie, so we are liars. We should, should be legal. Like, we shouldn't have to sign contracts because we're liars. And we sign them, then we lie about them, so we shouldn't... Why should we... Listen, you don't understand. We are prone, we were born this way. It's in our genetic code. We, we lie. So we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have to do jury duty because we probably lie about the person, what we think about the person, who's, who's being tried. We just, it's just inherent in us. We're just liars. <laughs> Where does it stop, you know? It's like, well, I, I'm a pedophile because I had attraction since I was little. It's like, listen, I don't care what your attraction is. You are not your temptation. You are not. And these are, these are, these are wars that we have within ourselves that grow our character. This grows our character. This is... It's, it, the fact that we, that we struggle through things is how we're developed. It's what makes us noble women and noble men. That we, that we, it's not, we didn't grow up with a, a silver spoon like everything went well for us. Well, we can't really understand you because we never had any of those temptations. Like, I'm like Jesus. Yeah, well, Jesus was tempted in every way except without sin. And he learned obedience through the things he suffered. You are like Jesus. As everybody is. He became a man with all the temptations of man. And he didn't go, well, I don't get you guys. What's the problem? Because he struggled through those things and won. You understand that? He can identify with you because he had the same challenges, the same temptations. I shouldn't say struggled with them. He had the same temptations and he, and he got through them without sinning. And so Hebrews says, so he, we have a priest who actually he, he can actually connect to us. He goes, I get you. I get you. I got a bunch more stuff, but we really should be done. I, I want to just pray for courage. I, I feel so much like we need courage. What we don't need, let me just, just be clear. We don't need to go back to the in my opinion, this is Chris's opinion, I, 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 don't, I don't have any desire to like picket a gay parade or do stuff like that. I, I mean, if, if you're supposed to, then fine, that's do it. Just please don't do it in the name of Bethel. <laughs> At least, least let them know Chris didn't send you. Like, just put it on the sign, Chris didn't send me. 
Chris didn't send me. I, I mean, I want to love people into wholeness. But loving people, you know, Hebrews 12 says that um, the difference between a bastard and a son is that a son receives discipline and a bastard doesn't. And so, you know, the idea that, that you're coming into a family that actually can correct you, correct me, I mean, that's what we need. That's what we need. And it, it takes a community to raise a kid. Not just one person. It takes a community. I, I, I end with this simple story. Um, actually, I have, I have another story I want to tell you too. This owner makes one point. You know, Jesus, you, you remember when Mary and, and Joseph lost Jesus? Like they lost the son of God. That's such a funny story to me. It's like, they go along for three days and they're like, have you seen the son of God? You born him. I'm like, you lost the son of God. I've had days like that myself. I'm like, I think we lost Jesus. I don't know what happened to him. I definitely know I've lost him in some meetings. I'm like, anybody seen Jesus? <laughs> I know he said he'd always be with us, but it feels like he left the wagon, you know? It just seems so funny. Like, I can just imagine Mary and Joseph, you know, they're riding along for three days, and they haven't seen Jesus for three days. Not like, you know, a few hours. They're like, have you seen Jesus? No, I thought he was with you. Well, how could he be with me? I'm right here with you. I don't know. Oh, Lord, I hope the rapture hasn't happened. He's left us with all these crazy people. But you know what that story tells me? It tells me that a community raised a kid. I mean, they weren't worried about Jesus because he was with some some other people. And they were, it's part of, in other words, a, a, a covenant community raised kids. It wasn't just you. It wasn't just me. I mean, you know, my, my kids grew up in, a fam- in several families, you know. Uh, they grew up in, in Bill's house. My kids were at Bill's house all the time and at Charlie Harper's house. And I mean, I mean they were just like, if they weren't, you know, they weren't around, we're like, ah, oh, you know, the chances of getting kidnapped are very slim. <laughs> and, 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 you know, one of them they would have brought back anyway. So when they were missing, I'm like, it's all right. You know, don't put the Amber Alert up, you know. With, put out prayer for the person who took him. They'll bring him back. <laughs> Courage is so important that we, that, we, that we take a stand with wisdom and rooted in love. And we go, hey, that's probably a bad plan. Hey, um, you want to talk about that? Hey, look me in the eyes and tell me you're okay. I'm just telling, I'm just saying, at levels of relationship, we can say different things, right? I mean, to the world, we can say, hey, here's a standard right here, and there's a reason why it's there. It's not to keep the rules. It's because this right here leads to a whole bunch of trouble in your life. To people that, that are deeply rooted in our life, we can go, look me in the eyes and tell me you're okay. And some form of that, like, talk to me. Talk to me. Because... Because encouraging somebody sometimes means get over that. You're better than that. Encouraging doesn't just mean, hey, you're amazing. Sometimes it means you're better than that and you're acting like a coward and stop it. Sometimes, sometimes, have you ever had someone just basically take you by the shoulders and look you in the eye and say, wake up, man. What are you doing? I have. And I tell you, I'm thankful for it. And so... 
But courage is so important. I, I want to tell you this story. It's, it's, it, it happened a while ago. It's in one of my books, actually. And, um, and I'll end with it. I have a couple of minutes. It's a, it's a story of this lady. Her name's Carolyn. And uh, Carolyn and her husband have, uh, had a car dealership uh, in town for many years. And, um, and Carolyn went down to Ross one day to, uh, to get some clothes. And she was in her car. And this young man came up to the car window. And... Uh, and it was, it was summertime, she had her, her window rolled up, and he knocked on her window, and she rolled down her window, and he put a gun to her head. Yeah, and he said, um, lady, uh, give me your car, I'm going to kill you. And she said, um, and she's in her 60s, and she looked up at him and said, you don't want this car. <laughs> you seriously do not want to, you remember the story? She said, you seriously do not want this car. She said, the shifter doesn't work. The air conditioning is broken. The window on that side doesn't even roll down. You, listen, you don't want this car. He said, lady, if you don't get out of that car, I'm going to shoot you. She said, no, you're, you're not going to shoot me. He said, yeah, yeah, lady, you see, this is a gun. It's a real gun. She said, you know, you've been having suicidal thoughts, haven't you? He said, yeah. She said, get in the other side and let's talk. He's like, lady, I'm going to shoot you. She said, okay, well, from the other side. Get in the other side and sit down and let's talk. This is a true, absolutely true story. Carolyn talked to him for about an hour and led him to Christ. Prayed for him. Yeah. And broke the spirit of suicide off of him. Exactly. That's, isn't that a good story? I'll, I'll tell you one more. It's a real short one. One of our students named Jason McNutt he, he went on a uh, missions trip to Peru, to Peru. And this, uh, yeah, this was many years ago. This was like the fifth year of our school, sixth year of our school, when our school was much smaller. And he went on a missions trip to Peru, and this, this man uh, um, put a gun to his head and said, if you, keep, if you say one more word about Jesus, I'm going to blow your brains out. <laughs> and, and Jason said, I've come here to die. The guy said, what? He said, I've come here to die. Go ahead and kill me. Then the guy received Jesus and he prayed for him. Guy got delivered. You know, I don't know. It's like, reminds me of Apostle Paul's story. It's like super intimidating. When I hear that, I'm like, I hope I wouldn't have like wet my pants and said, hey, you want me to stop talking? That's no problem. My wife has the same issue, you know. I don't I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. I hope I would have, you know, I, definitely I would have given the guy the, my car, you know, especially if it's a piece of crap. I'm like, take it, you know. It's insured. <laughs> Man, what happens when normal people get full of God? No, no, here's my finish. What happens when normal people, like everyday housewife, gets full of God? And the guy comes and says, you give me this car, I'm going to blow your brains out. And something comes over her, and she's like, you know what, you're not pushing around. You're not pushing around an old lady. You're not going to shoot me. I'm going to shoot you, lady. Get on the other side, let's talk. <laughs> lady, are you understanding? No, I don't think you're understanding. See, you think you're getting in a car with an old lady. What you don't know is who she's housing. 
They don't know who she's housing. And I just believe that the Lord wants to release courage on people. And, uh, and not courage to be stupid or do stupid stuff or to be unloving or hateful, but courage to say, yeah, look in my eyes and tell me you're okay. Hey, hey, there's a standard right here. I know you're screaming at me, but yeah, I'm not taking it down. I understand. I get it. Someday you may thank me for this. So why don't you stand? Let me just pray for you all. I was going to tell you the whole story about David and Goliath fighting, David fighting Goliath. So if you could just imagine the story for a second, then I'll feel like I preached it. <laughs> and it'll be so much faster. Thank you. You see how he won? Awesome. Okay. So Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would just release outrageous courage. This is a part of our inheritance. Outrageous courage. Some of you are like, I don't understand why God's never used me in outrageous courage. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit is like a photo cell. He only comes on it when it's dark. So, you know, if you stay in the light, you know, you just hang around Christian friends, you won't find outrageous courage. You only find it when you put yourself in places where you need it. So you're like, well, if I need it, then I'll, I'll ask. No, no, you just step out and, and Holy Spirit will meet you there. So, Lord, we just pray for that. We just pray for outrageous courage. Supernatural courage that transcends the fear of man and, and, and becomes a standard in the, in the middle of a dark place. And we can hold up the light of love and revelation and say to people, hey, I, I, I wouldn't do that. that. That's probably not the best thing for your health, for your life. And Lord, I just pray that you would just bless this world with sons and daughters of a king who truly love enough to speak the truth and actually have it be in love. In Jesus' name, thank you so much for this.